shows that we cannot solve our problems today. But God can. God can. This will drive our prayer time. Psalm 6258. You don't want to miss this. For God alone. It's for God alone. Oh, my soul, wait in silence. And I love this. The psalm says, telling his soul where to focus, to calm down. Oh, my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Muse, meditate, marinate on that. Everything we've done this morning thus far has been designed to instill vertical hope where horizontal hope has dashed and is not trustworthy. Our hope is not to be found in trying to figure out life, but in trusting the one who has it all figured out. I close with this, Daniel 2.22. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. Jesus shines in the night. So what's dark to you is not dark to him. What's mysterious to you is not mysterious to him. What you're freaking out over, God's going, I got it, I've got it. Remember today that there's one who looks at what you see as dark and he sees light. Jesus, thank you that you shine in our night, that you shine in the darkness. And so, Father, I pray for all of us God, I pray that our hope would be in you and in you alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, New Cove. It is so good to see you. Thanks for being here and making time to be involved in worship. If you want to get your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, page 1223. If you're using the Bible in the seat pockets or if you happen to take one home and you're using that at home, uh, page twelve. 23. Just a couple of things as we set things back into play where we are. Just a couple of things as we uh, look at our passage this morning found in 1 Peter 4. Uh, just a couple of things to note. My Parkinson's today is letting me know that it's here and it is not cooperating. So I'll shake and not worry about it if you'll not worry about it as well. Deal? Yeah. All right. Secondly, as we introduce first timothy again i hope you didn't go oh man when are we going to get through this don't raise your hand if that is the case for you as always we're not interested in hurrying up and getting through the the first peter what we're interested in is the truths of first peter getting through to us and so as we look at first peter 4 just want to remind you of the setting then we'll jump into chapter 4 you remember that the church, the church that Peter's addressing is the middle, in the middle of suffering and persecution. Nero, one horrible, horrible guy, burning Christians alive, doing whatever he can to, to blame Christians for the burning of Rome when he was the one who did it. Uh, they are what, what Peter calls their strangers. They are exiles. They are pilgrims. They are living in a land that is not their home. 
this whole passage that we're looking at, living in a land that is not our home, is how it is for us. We sometimes put our hope and trust, think this is supposed to be heaven. And so we get all upset when things don't work out the way we think it should and have to realize this is not our home, people. We're just passing through, but there's a reason why God hasn't just beamed us up, and that's what First Peter, First uh, Peter is all about. Peter's talking to the Christians, going, "Listen, the only source of true unity for early Christians was found in their shared commitment to Christ. That whole setting was more divisive than what we find ourselves in in the United States today. It's much more divisive, and, uh, and again, I'm not downplaying how angry and and volatile and opposite ends of people are hanging on to. All of us get caught up in that, but that is secondary. And Peter is telling the church, saying, what unifies us and what's going to unify us is not agreeing on everything that's secondary and tertiary, important, but secondary and tertiary. What we're going to focus on is Jesus Christ. And so it'd be like if I just told everybody to line up in a big circle around the auditorium and we put a chair in the middle of the auditorium, the one chair only, represents Christ and his call to the church. And as we focus on that chair and as we move towards that chair, toward that calling of God, not only do we focus on Christ and Christ alone and his call for us, but it calls us to move together. When we begin to look at ourselves and our rights and we try to figure out why life is not working for us, we tend to find fault with everything else around us. And we find fault and with people who don't agree with us or vote like us or whatever. Again, important things. I'm not downplaying that. But there's so much, so, so much better things at play here. And this is what the book of First Peter is about. That unity is a byproduct of mission. When we take our eyes off our calling, look at ourselves and each other, conflicts start creeping in. Peter addresses how we are to live a winsome life. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Maya Angelou said it this way, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So the call to New Cove is that we live lives in such a way that when we walk away from someone, that person we're around thinking, my life was blessed. My life was, you added value to my life by being in relationship with me. That we bring value to the people where God has us. It's how we represent Christ when we lose our positions of cultural power and influence. The believers in, in, uh, that he's addressing in First Peter, they had no rights. We, we do. But when we lose our rights, when things don't go our way, it's how we represent Christ when we lose our positions of culture, power, and influence. When the world has pushed us to the margins, it's put this way. It's how we live a life of mission and hope when we're exiles in our own land, in our workplace, our neighborhood, and even in our homes. It's how we live our life of mission. And that is what Peter's about. A couple other things, and then we'll jump into 1 Peter 4. Persecution, this comes from the BibleProject.com. Persecution is actually a strange gift. It burns away false hope and distractions by reminding us of our home and our hope. So paradoxically, suffering and hardships, listen to this, deepen our faith, 
and make it more genuine. Well, I'm not sure I like that. I think it's a great, great outcome, but getting there is the difficulty. It's what, what Brett read about earlier, that all these trouble and hardships, they create character, and character creates hope. And what is it? It's hope in Jesus Christ because Christ shines in the night. He shines in the darkness. He is our hope. It's that vertical hope that we put our, our hope and trust in. There may be upheaval in the world around us, but God chose you and put you exactly where you need to be in this very hour. So what would be Satan's, what would be his, his game plan? I don't think his game plan is to try to get, to cause people to become atheists or agnostic. I don't believe that at all. He's much too cunning than that. What he wants us to do is to put our faith in faith. And what I mean by that is this, saying this, as long as you have faith in something, that's all that matters. What is true for you is true for you. What is true for me is true for me. And so as long as we give everybody the freedom to have all the, all the desire they want for whatever, truth, whatever their truth is, that's fine and that works for you. It's all, it doesn't matter just as long as you have faith in faith. That's all that matters more than what you have faith in. Imagine if we applied that logic to any other dimension of life. So let's, let's apply it to medicine. So long as you have faith in medicine, it doesn't matter what medication you take. Or, so long as you have faith in roads, it doesn't matter which road you travel. It doesn't matter. Or, I'll put my faith in people. So, as long as you have faith in people, it doesn't matter who you hang out with. It doesn't matter. It's just you have trust in people. That is crazy thinking. And so, what's, what the evil wants us to do is not put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone, but just for, say, hey, it doesn't matter. And, and in fact, I read this, this, this past week that 63% of Americans... 63% of American adults believe that just having faith in faith is all that matters. It doesn't matter what your faith is, in, faith is in as long as you have faith. 63%. That's why Jesus has left us here. Because we are around people who desperately need to hear the, the voice of Jesus speak into their lives and for them to put their hope in Christ alone. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. Chosen why? Because you're a royal priest. You represent God. You're a holy nation. You are set apart. You're not like everybody else. You're God's very own possession. He lives in you. Because that means, again, that Jesus is light. And Jesus brings light into your darkness, into your night. So wherever you go, there he is. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of wrong thinking. He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus shines in our night. Jesus shines in our community, regardless of what kind of, uh, of high or low our community may be in in our, our society Jesus says, there's hope, and there's hope in me, and I am alone. I have to provide hope. 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves. You ought to circle those two words, yellow, highlight it, circle it, underline it. Arm yourselves also with what? With the same attitude 
because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. I like the message paraphrase it puts verse 1. It says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your suffering as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Wow. Think of your suffering as a way to, you guys have seen this over the last two, two and a half years. This whole, this whole mess that we're in all the way, just, I'll just call it a mess, all right? It's a revealer. It, is, it reveals where our, our hope and trust lies. And again, I'm all in favor of the mess getting cleaned up, whatever that looks like. But for us to live like everybody else who's freaking out, going, no, God's in control because Jesus brings light into your nighttime. He brings light into the darkness. And so think of your suffering as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. And that is so, you read James 4, what causes all kinds of troubles for anybody? It's because you want your own way and you demand that you have your rights. So when I told you to circle the, the, the two words, arm yourselves, that word arm is a picture, uh, and it's a military term, a picture of a soldier who puts on his equipment and arms himself for battle. So this is not just, yeah, hey, if you think about it, put on an overcoat. No, they're saying arm yourselves because you need to be in a, and, the, and it's a, it, it is a, an aggressive word, it is not. Uh, passive. It is very, uh, very active. It's an active word. Arm yourselves for battle, and this weapon that you're to battle yourself, to arm yourself with, is having the attitude of Christ. That is what we bring to the table. Wherever God has you, he, he has you exactly where He wants you in this particular season, and so He's put you there, and you arm yourself. You bring in the presence of Jesus wherever you go. You add value to the lives of the people that are around you. Well, what is it? The attitude is, is, is what Jesus has because outlook determines outcome. Outlook determines outcome. Now, it says arm yourself. It's something that God is not going to force on you and me. He's not going to force us to be his representative. That is his call for us. He's gifted everybody in this room with certain, all of us are powerful in different ways. But he's designed us to be powerful in different ways so that we use that powerful way that he's equipped us to leverage the environment for them to see Jesus in us. But he says to arm yourself. It's a decision you have to make. You make that decision. Say, I'm going to carry on the attitude of Jesus, not the attitude of self-centeredness, have my own way kind of life. It's where your focus is on serving God, not on serving yourself. And when we live in such a divisive world, it's all about claim your rights and down with those who don't believe the way you do. And this, this, is, this is not what God has called the church to do. He's called the church to live in a way that people see Jesus in us. We put our life in the hands of God. He knows the future. He sustains us in the present and he redeems the outcome of whatever we are faced with. Who doesn't want to be signed up for that? That you would put your hope 
and your trust in a God who knows the future, who sustains us until we get to the future, and he redeems the outcome of our lives. Verse 2, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desire, but rather for the will of God. That's our choice. We have a choice. Human desire, I'll do what I want, when I want, however much I want. I'll try to make life work apart from God. I, I don't care what he says. It's not convenient for me. In fact, a lot of times it is inconvenient to put the needs of others before yourself. In fact, I'd say 99% of the time it's very inconvenient to serve others instead of serving myself. As a result, we don't live the rest of our lives, earthly life, for doing what we desire and what we want, but rather for the will of God, the mission of God, what's he called us to do, to be like Jesus wherever we go. 1 Peter 4, 2, message paraphrase says, then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. And isn't that a great way to put that? Because we are, we are tyrannized by our own desires. All of us struggle with that. Therefore, we're as, as believers in an environment and nothing like the environment that they were in in the, in, in the, uh, the first century. But it's a, it's a hard environment we're in. We're to live with the same attitude that Jesus had when he suffered. We're to live our remaining days for God's will. Everyone has a king. If you did the Bible reading this, this week that Brent recommended about the kingdom living, all of us have a king. We know that. Someone is in the, on the throne, and the throne is not a two-seater, by the way. <laughs> so all of us have a throne. One throne, someone or something is sitting on that throne. And, and it's what it, it, the king, well, whoever we're deciding as the king, it's the thing that takes up our time. It influences us the most. It's the thing we think about that we could never live without. Jesus had to struggle with the very same thing. Luke twenty two forty two. 42, right before he was to go through the most horrible, excruciating situation in his life, he prays, Father, if you're willing, I would really like to not have to do this. However, not my will, but your will. So even Jesus was tempted with taking shortcuts of saying, I'd rather not go through all this. But then he was reminded, there's, God's going to redeem the suffering. And thank you, Jesus. And I mean that. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to go through all that. Because I benefited from it. I and you and any of you who've made commitment to Christ, we've benefited by Jesus living out his life. And the people around you who don't know Jesus yet, they will benefit by you serving them and by you bringing the presence of Jesus to them, by you sitting in meetings and deciding, what is, what is, how does God want me to respond to this? Do I show restraint? How do I deliver the truth with, 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 with compassion? How do I come alongside? How do I serve? Verse 3, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, and this is what they were struggling with. can't imagine any society living like this, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. Wow. Hmm. 
See, it doesn't take long for us to become accustomed to the darkness. And what I find is that a believer living in sin, and let me put it in, in maybe terminology to make it better, a believer living self-centered is a terrible weapon in the hands of Satan. Because we're to be different. And it's super easy for us to decide, I'll put Jesus aside and get off the throne, I'll be on the throne today. Verse 3, it says, you spend enough time living self-centered lives. Don't, don't fall back into that. Let Jesus shine into the night. Wherever you go, let him shine through you. Verse 3 reminds us of 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called because Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, not avoid difficulty. First Peter 3.18, for Christ died for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And here's how he redeemed it, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus shines into the darkness and he wants to shine into our nighttime. And he wants to shine not only in us but through us as well. Verse 4, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they give you a hard time because of that. That relates us, refers to First Peter 2, 12, 15. Live, live such good lives among pagans, pagans meaning those who aren't followers of God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Wow. Do you realize the influential power that you and I have been given? For it's God's will by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Chapter 3, verse 16. Keep a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their, of their slander. Our priorities should be so radically different and obvious that other people's notice. And why, why has he left us here? Why has he, why, has he, why has he not called us on to heaven? Verse 5. But they, those are non-believers, those who put faith in just some kind of faith, it doesn't matter, just faith in faith, they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as one is designed, destined to die once and after that to face judgment. You live, you die, you face judgment. You live, you die, you face judgment. So in verse 5, when it says, they're going to have to give an account, all of us will stand before God and he will say, what did you do with Jesus? Judgment is not a pleasant subject but it is a recurring theme in the Bible. Let me just quickly run by these verses to remind you, because we again we say every Sunday, what does the Bible say? Align your life to what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Align your life to what the Bible says. Romans 3, 23. Everyone has fallen short of what God wants. 
All of us have sinned. All of us. Some sin more than others. We all have sinned. Romans 6.23. For the wage, the outcome, the, the product of sin is death. We have to pay for our sin. But Acts 16.31 says, Believe in, Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe in Jesus and you will not be judged for your sin. And Acts 4.12 says, There's no other name under heaven or earth. No other faith. No other name in heaven and earth given by man by which we must be saved. It is about our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Why has he left us here? So we can have impact. We can live winsome lives around others and develop a relationship with them so that when, not if, when God opens up the opportunity for us to talk about where our hope lies, we can tell them it's in Christ alone. It's not in sin management. Look at verses 6 to 7 and we'll close with this. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so they might be judged according to men in, in regard to the body. But live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. Time is short on this side of eternity. Therefore, be clear-minded. Remember what, at the very beginning, it says, let Put on, take on the armor, the, the, the right armor. Arm yourselves with what? With the right thinking, which is what Jesus wants us to do, being Jesus-minded. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. Interesting, of all things, so that you can pray. Let's go back to the message paraphrase. Listen to the message. It was preached to those believers who are now dead, and yet even though they died, just as all people must, they will still get in on the life that God has given them in Jesus. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. God is concerned for the people that he's placed you around, or he wouldn't have you where you are. He knew before the foundation of the earth the people's greatest opportunity to hear Jesus would be to have you being in close proximity to them. Wow, what a privilege what a privilege. And he postpones his coming because he desires that all would come to know him. Okay. So what do we do? We stay clear-minded on our call. Every morning we wake up and say, God, not my will but your will. Not my will but your will. Open my eyes where I can bring value to where I am. God, give me opportunity to, to let your light shine in the night. And then he says, and pray. At the top of the list is prayer. It replaces self-focus with God-focus. That's what prayer is. It's replacing self-focus with God-focus. It reminds us who we are and, more importantly, who we're not. It reminds us we're not supposed to be on the throne. That's why every time we come together, we want to instill vertical hope where horizontal hope has been dashed. 
we remind you that Jesus shines in the darkness. Mother Teresa put it this way, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition, listening to his voice in the depth of our hearts. C.S. Lewis put it this way, I don't pray to change God. I pray because I can't help myself. It doesn't change God. It changes me. So, arm yourself with Christ's attitude. Not my will, his will. Kingdom living. Let him be on the throne. Share Jesus. Bring Jesus into the night. Let his light shine. And pray so that it changes you, doesn't change God. Let's pray together. Father, um, it's, it's simple, just not easy. It makes sense to arm ourselves with your attitude. And Father, I thank you that you have given New Cove the opportunity to be where she is, and you placed all of us exactly where you want us, in the neighborhood, in the apartment, in the school, in the business, in the location, exactly where you want us so that we can live our lives in such a way that people see Jesus in us. So I pray that you'd open our eyes, help us not to serve ourselves, but to serve your purposes. And when we need to be reminded of that, please remind us. And Father, I pray that you'd give us opportunity to bring Jesus into the night. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the next song that you're going to hear, it's one, just let the the Spirit of God speak to you. Uh, Where the lyrics are true of you, then just put an exclamation mark at it. Just say, yes, this is is what I want. And for those that uh, lyrics that are not true but are convicting, then allow that to speak to your heart. Say, God, this needs to be true. It's not true, but speak to me because I want these truths to be aligned up with my life.